You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Wow, amazing stories. Love being a part of this as our work goes around the world. We're in our next to the last sermon in the book of John. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? You can't. I figured, yeah. John chapter 21. I want to read this together. It's an incredible chapter. This is what John says. After Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, sons of Zebedee, two other disciples were together. I'm going to go out to fish, Simon Peter told them. They said, we'll go with you. So he went out, got into a boat. That night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw out your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Peter, Simon Peter heard this, him say this, he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, throwing the net full of fish, for they were far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, and even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took some of the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he'd raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Fairly true, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went out, you went on, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this and it came the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following him. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, the Lord is you're going to betray, who is going to betray you? When Jesus saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say he's not going to die. He only said, if I want him to arrive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. 
if every one of them were written down, I suppose not even the whole world would have room for the books that it would contain. This is the word of the Lord. It's an amazing story. I want to unpack this. There's a lot here to look at. And when I look at that, I ask, who are these guys? He just gives a brief kind of thing. We've got a doubter who became a deep believer, Thomas. We have two sons of thunder who are ready to burn people who have become deeply compassionate and loving. We've got a political revolutionary, Simon the Zealot, and a corrupt official, Luke the tax collector. A bunch of worthless nobodies by any fair assessment with Jesus. And then there's Peter. Now, those of you who are note takers and have the things, I'm going to do it differently here that's on your thing. I'll fill in your blank, but not yet. Okay, just a warning. Just a warning. Matthew 16. Because I want to follow the picture of Peter, because that's the key thing. The key story here is, what about Peter? Jesus said, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not real to my flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. The greats of Hades will not overcome it. So Peter, the man of stone. Or if you put it in a name thing, we'd call him Rocky. Right? And there's a certain... No, we won't do that. John chapter 6. First time that he speaks in the book of John. Jesus talking about people who want to leave. And he turned to the disciples and said, You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve... Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to where would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And what we look at Peter here is he's the committed confessor. He's the one who said, we will stay with you. There's no place else to go. Not because the benefits you give us, not because it makes us rich and famous, but because you have the words of eternal life and wherever you go, we're going. He's a committed confessor. John 13, upper room. Jesus had washed their feet, and now he says he's given some lessons, and Simon Peter asking, Lord, where are you going? Peter's the guy, he's got to be with Jesus. Where else would he go? Where are you going when Jesus says he's going to leave? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you'll follow later. Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you, he says. Even unto death. Even unto death, Jesus said. Peter said, I will follow you. Really? Jesus said, will you really down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Triple denial? For the one who says, I'll lay down my life for you with deep emotion? What's this about? John 18, Garden of Gethsemane. Judas comes to the garden guiding attachments, soldiers and officials from the chief priests and Pharisees carrying torch, lanterns, and weapons. Professional soldiers coming in to arrest Jesus. Peter's response 
He had a sword, drew it out, proved his swordish ineptness by chopping off the ear of the servant. What's he doing here? Even unto death. He meant it. When he says, I will follow you even unto death. Because he, how can he think he's going to win against a detachment of soldiers? But he's willing to lay his life down. It's an amazing story. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away, shall not drink the cup of the Father. Give me then the detachment of soldiers, commander and the Jewish fishers, arrested Jesus. What does Peter do? What does Peter do when they take Jesus away? Jesus is another disciple following Jesus. They're following Jesus because the disciples had known the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. It's the most dangerous place in Jerusalem to be at this moment. Peter, the faithful follower, he has to be with Jesus, even unto death. There in the courtyard, one of the man's disciples were, oh, you're, you're one of the man's disciples too, uh, a servant girl asked him. I'm not. Peter says, standing in the most dangerous place in Jerusalem, he denies knowing Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest. Now the servants and the officers had a charcoal fire because it was cold. They were standing and warming themselves. Peter was also with them Standing and warming himself, Peter is, remains near Jesus. Complicated. Meanwhile, Simon Peter is still standing there warming himself, so they ask him, you aren't one of your disciples too, are you? I'm not. He's still near Jesus. Three times. All he means with near Jesus. Rocky? How about Sandy? The complicated thing here, he's following Jesus. I don't know him. What is he saying there? He's not saying we have discipleship because he's with Jesus. What is he saying? I wish I had an answer for you. But amidst the confusion and the, all the stuff of that night, three times he refuses to confess Jesus. And what does it come out? Luke tells us the story. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord had spoken. And before the rooster crows today, you would disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly at his failure. Stricken with remorse when he realizes what happened. Now John 21. They're at the Sea of Galilee. Why? Because Jesus said, go up to Galilee, I'll meet you there. Now for the guys, that's going home. For Peter, that's where he lives. They go to the Sea of Galilee to meet Jesus and while they're waiting for him to show up, Peter says, let's go fishing. And the guy says, sure, let's do it. He's waiting for Jesus, filling his time until Jesus shows up. And the story happens. 
Haven't you any fish? No. They're on the right side. They're unable to haul in the net. What's Peter doing? He's thinking back to the very first time he ever saw Jesus. Luke chapter 5 flashes into his mind. Jesus said to Simon, put out in the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we're not working hard all night and we've not caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when done so, they caught a large number of fish at the beginning. He's in a total relive. The man who saw him the very first time is now seeing him again, and he's replaying the story. And you just imagine what Peter's emotions are. Now, on that first time, Peter's response to Jesus was, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Jesus saw something that day because his response to Peter is, Don't be afraid. I'll make you a fisher of men. Jesus saw something that first day. Jesus sees something this present day at the Sea of Galilee. It's the Lord, John says. Simon Peter, when he heard that, he's in the water. He's got to be with Jesus. The disqualified denier is also the man who must get to Jesus. He can't wait for the boat. He's in the water swimming 100 yards in contaminated water to get to Jesus. And when he gets there, they saw a charcoal fire in place. Fish laid on it, bread. Bring some fish you just caught. Come have some breakfast. Jesus gave them some bread. This is the way the chosen portrayed that moment. As he gives them bread and fish. Jesus is speaking redemptively. He's not ignoring what they did. Because all those men ran away except Peter and John. And Peter denied Jesus. He never ignores sin. But he speaks powerfully by word and deed and serves them with nail-pierced hands. Simple meal of bread and fish cooked over a charcoal fire. What's Peter living? A courtyard gathered around a charcoal fire. Jesus takes him downwind from a charcoal fire. And as that smoke of the charcoal comes into his nostrils, he, in his traumatic memory, is reliving in the courtyard when the man who must be with Jesus denied him three times. What's he feeling? What's Peter feeling? What's Peter feeling in that charcoal fire smoke? Sorry, too quick. That was charcoal. Fill it in. They finished eating. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Jesus said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three piercing questions. Three piercing questions. Do you love me? Do you love me? To the disqualified denier who has to be with Jesus standing downwind from charcoal fire. Various artists have tried to capture this. As the piercing questions come from the piercing eyes, piercing to the heart of Peter's shame and failure. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. Why are you doing this to me? Feed my sheep. Three piercing questions. Piercing to the heart of Peter's shame over his denial. Three agonizing, horrible, get to the depth of shame questions. But Jesus' response, do you love me? To the disqualified denier, feed my lambs. To the shame-filled, take care of my sheep. To the one I run away, feed my sheep. Three times denied. Peter's saying to him, you're my guy, Peter. You're my guy. Despite his betrayal. You're my guy, Peter. You're my guy. And he says, feed my sheep. And he says, follow me. Again, not because it's going to be great. It's going to be bad. And Peter does. So I think Peter is the faithful disciple. He gets it wrong, but he stays with Jesus and recognizes his sin and confesses it. Public prediction in front of all the disciples. You do this three times. Public denial three times in front of a big crowd of people. Public confirmation three times in front of all the disciples. And John chronicles that for us to see that God is the Jesus the one who just like he first saw him said don't be afraid you'll be a fisher of men now he says don't be afraid don't be lost in your shame receive my affirmation and things will change the disqualified denier is now the forgiven and restored the blanks on there are disqualified denier if you want to fill those in When I think about this, the transforming grace that changed Peter's life, initially and finally, that first time on the Sea of Galilee when he got the big catch of fish, the last time when he was served breakfast in piercing questions, that grace works in a contest of confessed failure, fear, 
shame. See, Judas did the same kind of thing. He betrayed Jesus, but instead of confessing his guilt and going back to Jesus, he tries to pay back and hangs himself. Peter shows us how to live as a disciple. Oh, we'll blow it. We may blow it disastrously. Will we weep bitterly when Jesus looks? And then will we receive his judgment? See, and his judgment on Peter is both to his sin and his person. And that judgment is both negative, you denied me three times, and positive, you're my guy, three times. And so you have to receive both. Jesus never, ever ignores sin. But he always comes with restoring, transforming grace. But we have to receive his judgment. Because Peter could have walked away and lived in shame the rest of his life. I fail to confess my discipleship. He doesn't. He receives Jesus' transforming grace. And at Pentecost, he's the one who steps up again, the man of action. Jesus made a natural leader, a faithful follower, and even more so, a spiritual leader. He's a natural leader from the beginning. But by his restoring grace, initially and finally, and all during Peter's life, he made him to be a spiritual leader. That's what any of us can be in our own realm. Grace may lead us to agony and death. And that's what happened to Peter. Tradition has he's crucified upside down by his choice because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified the way my Lord was. But it also leads to honor and fruitful life. And that's the complication of life living with Jesus. It's a complicated, difficult life. But if we receive his transforming grace, he places our shame with his honor, our fear with his power, our guilt with his forgiveness. But we have to receive it, see? Peter invites, accepts, and confirms Peter's profession of love, showing him what to do with it. Here's how you live your love. Because love isn't just an attitude. Love is an action. And Jesus shows him how to do that by feeding those men with nail-pierced hands. Peter's going to do the same kind of thing for a whole generation of people. And I'm struck in a world that's full of certifications that ministry is in terms of verbs of service, not nouns of office. And I see people in many places that are really competing for a title. Who cares? I mean, if you give a title, that's fine. But the point is, it's a verb of service, an opportunity to serve. It's a responsibility that I accept by the power of Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus to the grace of the Father. Who cares about the title? Well, title's meaningful, but that's, the point isn't a title. The point is to be able to serve. I have to realize this. Though it's Peter shows. To be healed, I must allow the wounded healer to touch my soul. I must allow him to expose and cleanse my sin. And that can be agonizingly difficult. I 
can't even imagine what Peter's feeling as Jesus probes his spirit in that morning on the shore. But he does it. Even in the embarrassment. I, if you're Peter, do you want to be singled out in front of all the guys and have them all look at you as you're reminded of what you did? But see, he doesn't do it to shame you. Oh, he goes takes you through the shame. He actually goes into the shame you already have to expose it to his grace. But his whole goal is to cleanse, empower, restore, renew, confirm. That's why he does that. Jesus entrusts his mission to broken, problematic, sin-marred people who are willing to speak their sin, repent, and receive his empowerment. So he lead with Holy Spirit strength and transformed character because that's the work that Jesus does. Love, seeking and serving the well-being and dignity of another, even at personal cost. And I think of the cost that Peter went through. The faithful disciple who never turned away. Even when he died, Jesus, three times, he wept bitterly, went away, but came back. And when Jesus raised from the dead, he tells the women, go give the news I'm raised from the dead to my disciples and to Peter. Jesus sees stuff in Peter that Peter cannot see in himself, I think. So some questions for reflection. Oh, I've got two more here. We seek to work redemption and restoration in others as we receive it ourselves. That's what we're doing. To work redemption in others. That's one of the things I get to do as a pastor that's just so joyous to take somebody who's failed, somebody who brings shame to me, and I get to be a priest of the Most High God and help them find healing and restoration. It's an amazing thing. This little quote from Kate Soudan, Snowden, Rita Snowden. Restoration means the wonder of being trusted again by God in the very place where I disgraced him. That takes Holy Spirit courage to go there. Worship team, come on up here. We're going to sing here in just a minute. Because we've got two incredible songs to unpack this. But I want you, on your notes, there are five questions for reflection. The first is, whom should I allow to touch my soul? See, Satan wants to touch your soul with his condemnation, with his accusation. Don't let him touch your soul. But let Jesus touch your soul. Whom should I ask the piercing questions to? Whom should I ask piercing questions to? With a tone of grace, but still the piercing question. That we don't like to do because that means to go into the place of pain and shame with someone. Whom shall I bless with restoring words? Because they've received Jesus' transforming. I have seen the power of blessing in people's lives. But don't ever give it without the work that Jesus has done. How will I answer Jesus' question? Do you love me? Do you love me? But you say yes. He's got transformation and a mission for you. 
Do you love me, Jesus says? And finally, how will I live out his call? Feed my sheep. Follow me. Some questions for you to ponder as we sing a couple of response songs that are just incredible to take the Gospel of John. Could we have a better representation of not being ashamed of the Gospel? Sarah, you know I love you. And I'm so glad for your not being ashamed of the gospel and willing to admit your weakness and your identity so much in your singing and to let us share in that moment of weakness, really a season of weakness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We all just extend a hand. I'm going to pray for Sarah here. No, you don't get to talk. No, no. <laughs> just extend a hand up towards Sarah. I'm going to lead us in praying for our worship pastor. Lord Jesus, thank you for piercing questions, but thank you more for the power of the gospel and for the way that Sarah has exemplified that here for us today by confessing this loss and helping, asking us to enter in with her in this season of healing. Holy Spirit, I pray your healing for her, strengthen her spirit, heal her body, bring her vocal cords into line with your design, and soon, because we want her to lead us again vocally as well as with words. Thank you for her leadership spirit and the work she'll do behind the scenes that none of us see. She's a great worship pastor and we're glad for her. We celebrate your goodness together with Sarah and with this beautiful church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Gary. See, the words of that song, the words of that song, I'll never be ashamed of the gospel. I'll never walk away. But so you can walk away in shame as easily as you can walk away in denial. We've got prayer teams up here. Uh, we'd invite you to come and pray together. Uh, it's a beautiful gospel. Go and change the world with that gospel, I pray. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.